Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Well, here we are. It's about halfway through December 2020. And I'm feeling pretty confused about what's happening in the world right now. Do you guys remember back in like January when we're all like, 2020, it's going to be a year of like perfect clarity. (laughs) You remember that? I'm pretty sure the angels up there are laughing at us right now. They're like, you had no idea. Man, the world has gone crazy, hasn't it? And, you know, I think for many of us, it's actually not even just, like, the world out there has gone crazy. Like, things in our own lives have redirected and are on paths that, like, we don't see where they're going, maybe. Uh, I know for me this year, I I began this year uh, excited about where I was positioned and thinking that I was, like, really clear on what God was calling me to do. I was doing a lot with uh, our, our translocal connections and our network, really invested in our uh, local church here on the, on the executive team. And about halfway through the year, the Lord began to talk to me and say, hey, you know, there's a, uh, a new chapter for you if you'll say yes to it. And I was like, okay, God, this is not the time to be making life changes. But, um, you know, he kept speaking, made it clear. So uh, we we began to have some conversations with the staff team and just try to kind of reposition me to to really say yes to that next chapter. Obviously, I'm still involved here. You know, that's that's not changing. But kind of made the shifts to make the room for the new season. And, you know, here we are months after that. And I'm like, okay, God, I said, yes, I'm, I'm ready for that new season whenever it, whenever it arrives. Whether it's our own uh, vocations, our, our workplace, our relationships, our finances, or what our country, whatever else is weighing on us, I think a whole lot of us feel this sense of, there must be some bigger picture here that I'm not seeing right now. And knowing how to navigate those moments in our journey of faith is critical. It turns out that sometimes in our journey with Jesus, we do have a sense of where things are going. We can see a few steps further down the path. But sometimes we don't have that. And this is one of those times for many of us. And so today, I want to I ask the question, what do we do when we don't know what's going on? In this series, as you saw by that super fun little uh, intro video here, we're, we're talking about God's perfect Christmas and how God's perfect Christmas doesn't really match our definition of a perfect Christmas all that cleanly. <laughs> I like my Christmas to be kind of warm and predictable and nice and clean. God's perfect Christmas 2,000 years ago was pretty messy. (laughs) And yet, nevertheless, God was in it. God was doing tremendous things in it. And it's interesting because, you know, here in 2020, our Christmas season feels kind of messy, doesn't it? (laughs) 
feels a little bit like that first Christmas. Like, hold on, stuff. God, you've got a plan, I think. <laughs> Can't see it yet. <laughs> it's striking to me, the resemblance. Well, today we're going to talk about God's perfect prophecies, the way that God speaks in these confusing kind of in-between times, and how we can partner with the destiny that God's shaping for us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you came that first Christmas over 2,000 years ago, and you keep coming to earth. And so right now, God, as we, as we continue, before we even open your word, I just ask Jesus, would you come? Like, you're so much a better teacher than me. <laughs> I'd really like you to teach this morning. Your presence is so much more life-giving than our presences to one another. So Jesus, we just ask that you'd come. You'd take this time, you'd fill it up. We want to encounter you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. The Christmas story, when you look at it, is pretty bizarre, which I suppose maybe we shouldn't be surprised by. I mean, God in the flesh coming to earth probably should be kind of a unique, different sort of event. <laughs> One of the ways that's really striking is the prophetic precision that exists within the Christmas season. There are so many layers of it that are prophesied in advance that when we read the Christmas story, it can almost feel like a prophetic checklist. It can be like, yep, check, 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 check. Now, this is pretty remarkable when you begin to dive into it, when you, when you explore like what's actually happening with the prophecies and the prophetic fulfillment. Take, for example, uh, this prophecy in the book of Isaiah. This comes in Isaiah chapter 7 which I think is going to be on the back screen, is it not? Going once, going twice, I'll find it in here. Oh, there we go, okay. Uh, before the Lord himself will give you a sign, or therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, Isaiah prophesies this about 700 years before Jesus is born. And he's prophesying the virgin birth, that there's going to be a really important figure called Emmanuel that's going to be born of a virgin. Now, this is pretty intense when you think about it. I mean, historical context for us, 700 years ago was 1320, right? So imagine in 1320, somebody stands up and goes, someday, May 29th, a very good day, there's going to be a, someone born named Putty. <laughs> Such a weird name, but this is of the Lord's doing. Like, like seriously, what? 700 years in advance? Crystal clarity on a bizarre event. Someone born of a virgin? That's never happened. Or take this passage. This was out of Micah, Micah chapter 5. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, or we'll go with that, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient days. This is prophesying that there's going to be a ruler that's going to come from Bethlehem. Even though Bethlehem was like a tiny town, it was super small. Like, it was kind of on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Think like, you know, well, I, I don't want to use any modern examples, or it might be derogatory. Small town, okay? So... 
there's this prophecy that a ruler is going to come forth from this small town. Again, Micah is prophesying this about 700 years before Jesus. And it's not just these two. There's other prophecies that the Messiah would be from Egypt, that the Messiah would also be from Nazareth. Interesting. There's actually three conflicting prophecies on where the Messiah would be from, Bethlehem, Egypt, and Nazareth, and they're all true. There's a prophecy that he would be worshipped by shepherds and kings. You find that in, in the book of Psalms. There's a prophecy that when he would be born, there would be a slaughter of babies. And so when we read the, the Christmas story, there's so much of this that's laid out so far in advance that it feels, it can feel, I suppose, like, oh man, it's like there was this perfect Christmas roadmap. It was super obvious what was happening. And to be clear, of course, it was super obvious to God. It was obvious to him. Like, but one thing we got to remember is, you know, the, the, the book is written with the benefit of hindsight. Like the Christmas story in the Bible is not Mary and Joseph journaling it in the moment. It's written to look back on it and go, oh, the way these things are so weird and happened the way they were, was actually, they were prophesied in advance. God knew this was happening. And so we can read the story and go, oh man, the Christmas, like, thank goodness for all these prophecies, Mary and Joseph, that man, they needed that help. It must have, it must have been real clear to them. And I would suggest that when we dig a little bit deeper, that was kind of the opposite of their experience. Their experience of fulfilling these cosmic prophecies was not clean and neat. Let's look at it. In Matthew 1 we see the fulfillment of that first prophecy in Isaiah, the one about uh, the Messiah being born of a virgin. And here's how that happens. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Awkward. Wait a minute. Hold on, I thought we were fulfilling a prophecy. Well, Joseph ain't buying it. He's like, I know where babies come from and they don't come from the Holy Spirit, okay? <clears throat> but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And we have that Isaiah verse. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. So we have this 700-year-old crystal clear prophecy floating out there. Of course, Joseph knew exactly what was happening when Mary comes to him and says, I have been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. How could you miss that? Nope. Joseph completely misses it. And he's one step away from abandoning the mother of the Messiah to be a single mom. When God goes, oh, Gabriel, you better get down there, get in his dream. <laughs> Turn him around. <laughs> and he has a dream, and the angel says, no, go ahead and marry her. And so he goes, oh, oh, okay, I thought we were going this way. We'll just turn that around, and we'll go this way instead. He stumbles his way through. 
And we actually have no sense as to whether he's aware that this prophecy is being fulfilled until the angel shows up and tells it. Here's the plan, Joseph. Let's look at the, uh, the birth in Bethlehem. That other one from Micah. This happens in Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So, okay, again, let's, let's try and like put ourselves a little bit in Mary and Joseph's experience. They've navigated the whole, who's the father of this child thing. Okay, wow, this is amazing. We get to raise the Messiah, like unbelievable. How amazing is this? So what do they spend the next number of months doing? They do the same exact thing that every parent does their first time. They, they get the crib from Ikea, and Joseph spends seven hours trying to figure out how to put it together. They paint the room. They start reading all the parenting books they can because they're parenting the Messiah. I mean, my goodness, right? So they are doing everything to get ready for this really important moment in their lives, not even just as important as their first child, but literally God is coming to earth. And right at the end of it, when they're totally ready, what happens? Out of nowhere, the emperor goes, hey, I want to know who everybody is around here. So they wind up having to do an 80-mile detour to Bethlehem, and oh, they have the baby there. Now, if you're Mary and Joseph, are you happy about this? I'm angry. I'm like, God, what gives? You told us this is the Messiah. I did everything I could do to prepare. And now I have to have him on the road with like the, the animals. <laughs> I'm upset about this. Now, again, notice we have no indication they had any idea what was happening here. They're just stumbling their way through it. See, the incredible thing that God's perfect prophecies in the Christmas story shows us is that sometimes you can be fulfilling your destiny and have no idea that you're doing it. Like, with the benefit of hindsight, we look at it and we go, oh, of course he had to be born in Bethlehem. Of course, you know, there had to be this, this, this elaborate plan to get them there. But they don't know that in the moment. To them, they're like, I have a trajectory, and then this thing just comes out from, from sideways and throws my life up in the air. Kind of like when you find out you've been exposed by COVID and it throws everything up in the air. Anybody had that? I had a potential scare this week. It turned out to be a false alarm. Um, they don't know this is what's happening until, again, they have the benefit of hindsight. And so we see in the Christmas story, and I think this is, this is real in our lives as well, that there's kind of two layers happening at once. The top layer is this like cosmic destiny layer. It's like Messiah prophesied 700 years in advance. All of heaven is prepared for the moment. And then we have the layer of Mary and Joseph who are clueless and are stumbling their way through this, just trying to do the right thing and survive. You know, there are four separate occasions 
where Joseph is about to make a critical error and God shows up in a dream and says, don't do that, that would be really bad. He's like, I'm gonna go ahead and leave Mary. And the angel's like, put your foot down over here instead. (laughs) They, living down here, have no idea that they're fulfilling these cosmic incredible prophecies. They're just trying to hang on and survive in the moment. So what we see from the Christmas story is that God is really good at that top layer. And it's obvious and it's clear to him. But it's not always obvious and clear to us. Sometimes we do get a sense of it. Sometimes we see, oh, this is it. This is a God thing. This is incredible. And we do get to have a degree of that clarity. But sometimes, and I might even say, the times when God is on the move the most, we're completely blinded to that top layer. God's weaving together something with the story of our lives that's too big for us to even see in the moment. We'll see it in hindsight, but we probably won't know what's happening right then. And that gives me a lot of hope for times like now. Times when it feels like, you know, none of us probably have 700-year-old prophecies hanging over our lives. Maybe you do. If you do, come tell me. I really want to hear that story. But, 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 but we do have this sense of there's a trajectory that God has my life on. There are things that I'm invested in that are important to me that I, I want to see where they go. I have relationship goals or finance goals or job goals or whatever it is. And it feels like in this present moment, all that has gone dark. Where on earth is all that going? I have no idea, truthfully. And so I can have one of two responses. The first is, and this is like my natural tendency, it's to try and figure out how to get more clarity on that layer. No, I must be able to figure this out. It must be, it must be doable and I scramble and try and figure things out and try and solve problems. I can try and do that. Or I can take a lesson from Mary and Joseph and say, you know what? Maybe I actually just, that's not a realistic expectation to understand that level today. Maybe my focus needs to be down here on the day by day, moment by moment, trust and obedience with God. And I'm going to kind of deposit my destiny into his bank account for now. We see that in, you know, this is one of those instances where Joseph gets redirected in uh, Matthew 2, this is incredible to me, Matthew 2, 13 and 14. Now, when they had departed, the wise men, the wise men had left, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod, Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, now look at this, he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. So imagine this, you've just had this incredible experience, literally kings from a foreign land have come, they've worshipped Jesus, they've given you gold and frankincense and myrrh, you're now rich. And that night, an angel appears to Joseph and goes, hey, um, you want it, Scoot, because things aren't going to be good here. Why don't you go down to Egypt for a little while? And what's Joseph's response? In the middle of the night, he gets up and he takes his wife and child to a foreign country. 
Did you see that? While it was still night, he takes them. I mean, would you, if you had a dream where the Lord's like, you know, might be time to uh, head down to South America for a little while, would you get up at 2.30 in the morning and go then? I wouldn't. I'd be like, okay, quick question. Gabriel, can I, can I, can I sleep in? Because I'm going to have jet lag when I get there. <laughs> he is on it, leaning into obedience. Someone said, oh, not in South America. That's true. Not much at least. Maybe, maybe an hour or two. He's leaning in to trust. And that's our move in times like this. It's to say, God, I'm not going to understand my destiny right now. I'm going to choose to trust you with my destiny. I'm going to focus on the present moment and walking that present moment in trust and in obedience. Amen. You know, it's a funny thing. We, we all actually have simultaneously two very different relationships with God. When the scripture uses the term Abba Father to refer to the way that the Holy Spirit within us refers to God, he's talking about these two different kinds of relationship. One of them is summarized with that word Abba. The other is summarized with the word Father. Now, this is a strange juxtaposition because you would never have both of these relationships with a natural person at the same time. The Abba relationship refers to the type of relationship that a young child would have with their father. A picture of the Abba relationship is when I come home from work, and my three little kiddos are over there in the front. They'll be embarrassed if you look at them, so don't look. No, but you can look afterwards. Um, the <laughs> I come home, and they're playing or something, and one of them hears the garage door open, and so when I step in the door, I usually hear this, Daddy's home! And there's this, like, stampede. And boom, they wrap their arms around my leg. Good to see you, Daddy. You know, it even happened this morning. They came in, right? You guys gave me hugs first thing, right? That's the Abba relationship. And the Abba relationship is all about trust and dependency. It's about connecting to our big daddy God who can solve the problems we need. We don't have to solve them. The, the father relationship is totally different because the father relationship is about what would happen when you have a peer type relationship. It's about two grown adults, both of them who probably have a family. So uh, the picture of the father relationship is when I go out to breakfast with my dad. He's a writer, I'm a writer. He loves to network with churches, I love to network with churches. So we sit down and we talk shop. Oh, what are you working on? You know, what are you excited about right now? And this and that, whatever. That's the father relationship. And I'm not looking to him to solve all my problems. We're relating as peers around a shared sense of things that we like and things that we find are important to do. Usually, in life, we start with an Abba relationship, we grow to a father relationship. And when we're in that father relationship, we should leave the Abba one behind. <laughs> Otherwise, it's kind of a sense of immaturity. But with God, we have both. With God, you never outgrow the Abba relationship. You never only live in the Father and not the Abba, and vice versa. We have both with God. And in times like now, my suggestion for all of us is this. The moment is now to lean into the Abba relationship. 
The moment is now to lean into that trust and that dependency that, you know what, right now, the world is crazy and we don't understand what's happening in the world and we don't understand what's happening in our lives. And so if we were with the, in the father relationship, we go, okay, I'm gonna figure it out. God, let's figure this out. Tell me what's going on. We'll solve this together. And those are great moments. I love those moments, right? But sometimes God calls us to go back to the Abba relationship and says, actually, this one, what I want you to do is I want you to realize you're not gonna understand it. You're not gonna get it. It's okay. You get to be five for this one. I get to be big. You can trust my bigness. You can trust my goodness. And so when you're like, what's going on? What do you do? You don't try and figure it out. You run to God and you wrap your arms around his leg. That's what you do. And you get comfortable in that space and you let him minister to you in that space. And what I've found is, guys, there is incredible grace in that place right now in this season. And what we cultivate here is actually gonna benefit us for the rest of our lives. So Paul says things like his power is made perfect in weakness. When I am weak, he is strong. These are Abba uh, uh, descriptions, if that makes sense. And so as we conclude here, I actually wanna take just a moment and I wanna position us in that Abba space before we go to worship. So here's what I want, I want everyone to do. I want you to, if you're like here with us in the room, I want you to just relax and get comfortable in your seat, okay? If you're watching online, do the same. Although like don't disengage too much if you're driving or something. But <clears throat> I want you to relax and I want you to just close your eyes. I don't want to start by this. Whatever source of tension or anxiety or confusion you have, I want you to start actually just by feeling it. Let yourself feel the concern. <laughs> and as you're in that place, I want you to picture that your big daddy, Abba God, comes into the room. And he's really big. Like, you can't even really see the top of him because it's through the ceiling. <laughs> and when you see him... You run towards him because you love him and also <laughs> because you need him in this moment, because you need the security and the safety that he's gonna give to you. And so you run towards him and you do that, you wrap your arm around his leg. And when you do that, he laughs. And he's like, oh, <laughs> it's so good to see you. And he bends down and he scoops you up into his arms. And he squeezes you. And it's not so tight that it's painful, but it's tight enough that you can feel how strong he is. And he's a whole lot stronger than you. And it's in that, it's in feeling his strength that you begin to realize that, you know, the, the, the confusion, the obstacles, the anxiety, that all of that's really big to you, but it's not really big to him. And as he holds you tight, I want you just right now in, in your mind and in your heart, I want you to tell him that thing that you're, that you're worried about. God, I'm afraid about this. God, I'm feeling nervous about this. I'm confused about that. And as you do that, <laughs> he backs you up and he locks eye contact with you. And he says, hey, it's okay calls you by name. It's okay, buddy. 
It's okay, blank. <laughs> I got this. You're going to get to see how big I am. And as he says that, you feel your heart just like settle. And you remember again that God can beat up any other dad he needs to beat up. <laughs> that you do have the biggest dad on the block. That he can deal with the things he says he's going to deal with. And as that happens, it's just like, oh, it's going to be okay. And he says, now come on, let's play. And he begins to spin you around. Begins to throw you up on his shoulders. And before you know it, you're laughing. And the confusion and the fear and all of that has just fallen away. Because <laughs> he's good. And he's big. And you can trust him. That's the place, guys. That place right there. That thing that just happened in your heart. The thing that is now sitting over this room. Guys, that's the way through a time like 2020. And my, I love it, you guys aren't even disengaging. That's good, stay in that place. My encouragement to you this week is this. How can you lean into this space? How can you take the fears, the insecurities, the confusions, which are totally okay to feel, and take them to this space? You can trust him. We can depend on him. He is big and he is good. The first Christmas was a really weird and confusing Christmas, but God knew it was coming. He talked about it 700 years in advance. And you know what? God knew 2020 was coming. He saw this 700 years in advance too. You and I, we might not have any idea what's going on. It's okay. To the degree where that's the case, just deposit your destiny into the bank account of God's sovereignty. Just leave it with him. God, I trust you with that. I'm gonna focus on taking the next steps with you, my big daddy God. And like with the Christmas story, if we do that, we'll see with the benefit of hindsight that God knew exactly what he was doing and he was filling it up all along. Let's pray. Abba God, I thank you that you're here. God, I feel your love and your warmth towards us in this moment. I thank you that when we're afraid, your heart is inclined towards us. I thank you that when we don't know what to do, you're never in that same spot. And so God, we do say that we trust you. We say you get to be big. Show us how big you are. Show us how strong you are. We want to see that, God. I thank you that for however big any of our tensions, any of our confusions, any of our fears are, they're nowhere near as big as you are. We ask that you would show us your bigness. You would show us your goodness. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.